Welcome to the 551 Podcast. My name is Wes Burdine. I'm uh, sitting in a slightly chilled uh, wine cellar of a basement with, uh, yet again, Jeff Ruder. Hey, man. A slightly chilled dude. How's yep. it going, dude? Good. You're, you're, um, you're, we're both sweatered, but you are going uh, with uh, a, a button-up, uh, mm-hmm. what I would believe would be called a, a cardigan. And yours is a mine's a, a, mine's zip, a up. zip up. It's like with a, a with a little collar. It's like a Norse a, fisherman's kind of Nike track jacket. Yep, that's exactly that's exactly what they that that's if you look at my like uh, consumer profile. That's okay. that's pretty much it. There you go. Um, on the phone, uh, wearing some sort of sweater, I assume is Alex Schieferdecker. Hey, man. Yep, I'm wearing a hoodie. You, uh, that's not a sweater, but uh, you were, (laughs) you, uh, before we started, you were telling me that you were involved with some sort of, uh, epic co-ed, uh, soccer match. And now I, I I told you, I wanted you to stop and and tell me about it. So what, what was this match? Um, so this is the, the Penn rec grad faculty staff league. And, um, apparently this season when two teams tie in regulation, we play a old-fashioned MLS-style penalty shootout with, with the, the, the running sprint, run up from midfield, and you know this total free-for-all. I love that. Um, oh man! And and uh, so this, no one really knew what the rules were, including the referees. We had to consult. Um, and uh, and it, we we uh, we were even after the first three kicks, which was supposed to decide it, and we went ultimately to the eighth round. This is 8v8, so uh, I against the opposing goalie, and he missed wide, and I really did not do a very good kick, but I got it under his hand, and uh, we were victorious. Good for you, well, man. Congratulations. Wow. You Tony Miola'd it. So I'm riding on a high, yeah. The, you are, Running you about are, as quickly yeah. as Tony Miola Greatest would moment now. Of my you, you are career. the Tony Miola of the Penn faculty grad staff. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really cutthroat league. Obviously, yeah, if they're playing by brutal. 1998 MLS rules, it's uh, it's got to be. Um, well, uh, we, we've got a, a show where we talk about the greatest uh, team to ever not win a game, Minnesota United FC, and uh, we've got uh, good, the bad, and the weird. That includes uh, you know firings of managers and includes uh, people getting injured and had their having their heads lopped off and things like that before they get called up into U.S. Uh, national team duty. So here's what we'll do. We'll do music. It's from Big Quarters, Twin Cities Hip Hop Group, and then we'll come back and we'll do the roundup. Welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast. My name is Jeff Ruder. Wes Burdine is taking a shot in the corner right now, and we've got Alex Schieferdecker wearing a hoodie in Pennsylvania. And we're going to do our weekly whip around of all things in soccer that didn't happen in Minnesota called the good, the bad, and the weird. And so let's start with the good here, which is that our old friend, um, we're going to talk about our ex. Our, yeah. Let's our, talk about our ex. Our ex-lover. The NASL. Yeah. yeah a, a total facelift. Um, in a lot of ways, shed a lot of... <laughs> More like shitty foster parents, actually, <laughs> if you got to be honest. There was no love involved. They did take us in when we had a really tough time. We were recovering from some things. Our parents kicked us out. Uh-huh. Actually, our deadbeat dad with only one pair of shoes <laughs> yep. fled to Belgium. Well, the thing <laughs> is, our first foster dad had a lot of good ideas for us and had set up like a college fund for us. Yeah. And then he got kicked out by like the, the brash Miami Vice-like yeah. new stepdad, stepfoster yeah. dad that we didn't appreciate. Yeah. And so now he's gone. Regardless, though, uh, the ex-foster parents, um, NASL, are back in action this weekend. Uh I mean, the the good part is that the league is alive. It exists. And, and that, you know, I've got a, a piece going up for 442 sometime this week talking about the kind of newer, friendlier, cuddlier uh, league. I have many, uh, sus- not suspicions, doubts about the leagues, uh, league and things like that. But I do think talking to, I've interviewed several people, most of the interviews I didn't even use for this, but like... You know, you talked to Stephen Malik with North Carolina FC, and you've talked to you've interviewed him before too, Jeff. I don't get the sense in the way that I have with some other owners that they are fly by night or anything. I think that 
he is committed and you have a lot of these kind of people who are pretty committed. I don't know about their new expansions, but, you know, talking to people, I'm a little bit more comfortable about it. They're not, I don't have the sense that there's going to be another Ryo OKC in the future. Um, and I even have the sense that they know the lessons that they've learned from Jacksonville and Fort Lauderdale. So I I hope that the league does well. I'm going to be obviously uh, rooting for Indy 11 uh, and and I think North Carolina. Obviously. Yeah, I just I just was... I like I like the indie fans. Okay. I think I've I've made that known. That's oh, okay. obvious. Got it. Uh, the, them in North Carolina FC, uh, just because they have uh, so many former because they have Neil Morris, former loons, and they've they got then, yeah, uh, they've got Lance Lang too. Yes. No, they've got Connor Tobin. They had Lavity for a little mm-hmm. while. And uh, Alex, you used to do the. Uh, or are you still doing the power rankings this year of the NASL? Or are you going to retire that? I, I do not plan on following the NASL too closely this year, so okay. no, no power rankings. So I'm then, afraid. do you at least have kind of like a your your finger on the the pulse, though your finger is slowly leaving the throat um, of who's going to do well this year? <laughs> That's a, a metaphor. <laughs> Thank you, dude. Some interesting metaphors on the uh, on the podcast yeah, this week. Yeah, we're killing it. Um. Uh, well, I, I, I'm predicting the Cosmos will win. Uh, that is usually a safe bet. Um, they seem to have gotten some good players again, and Gio Savarisi is a very good coach. Um, I guess with regard to the overall sort of bigger picture, right? I mean, Steve Malik is committed, but he's also trying to leave the league. That's true. He's bidding for MLS. So the question is more, what about the guys who aren't? And then... At the end of this year, when we know two new teams coming into MLS, what happens to NASL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got the yes. There, there's, there's a lot of those questions. So, but good luck to all the NASL people out there, both of whom listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> the bad. Uh, let's talk about that, which is the injuries that have been been just racking up for the U.S. men's national team. Um, out of this uh, group are Timmy Chandler, Brad. Guz- well, Brad Guzan's not injured, but his wife is having a baby this weekend. So fair. Good luck to the the Guzans. Fabian Johnson, uh, Jermaine Jones, and uh, no, he's well, he's suspended Jones for suspended. the first game, and then yep. he'll be back for the second. And so is Chandler as well, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, I'm doing this wrong here. Uh, Bobby Wood and DeAndre Yedlin and Jordan Morris, maybe. Okay. Yeah. We don't know. Well, he played through a lot of uh, apparently severe ankle pain um, during their last game uh, on Sunday. So we'll see if he still plays. Walk it off, Jordo. <laughs> we've got a uh, we've got a couple of guys who got called in late. Uh, Sasha Kleshin, my boy, got called in. We had Graham Zusi, the All American right back, got called in. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting uh, mix of players between um, going up against Honduras and then going against Panama on Friday and then the 28th, whatever day of the week. I think that's a Tuesday. So Yes. Um, Friday's, Friday's a weird late game, though. So it's played in San Jose. It's It, it starts at 9.50 Central time. Are you, yeah. are you staying up? That's late past your bedtime, uh, Alex, on the on the East Coast. Yeah, that's, that's pretty late. It's a weird time for a game even though it's on the uh, in pacific but yeah. one of the the big questions that i was tweeting uh, with ryan katnazy last night about is it's bruce's first game again and so are you do you wear like black to prepare for the sorrow of things not going as you hope do you wear white to purify yourself for mr arena something blue something borrowed something yeah new. Or some red just to uh, appease the the fires of hell like what yeah. I, what what's the dress code for friday guys wow I don't know. It's a I, tough was question. Just, I was just going to wear a, a nice, simple Norwegian uh, Nike charcoal suit. Oh, I just, I, it's just really understated, <laughs> but you know, that's still kind of formal. Like I, I feel yeah. like, I mean, it's the second one. So I feel like you I'm could get away guy. without the jacket. It's all right. Uh, but I, I would do a serious question about the game. Uh, I, I don't know which one of you follows or cares more about us men's soccer that you want to speak about this. Um, is this team ready to go up against Honduras? Do you think that even with these injuries, that the expectation is this should be its home game? This should be a win. Yeah, guaranteed? I I think so, and I I think that if they don't get four points out of these two, um, it's over pretty much. Um, I I think that having Clint Dempsey back in the fray, uh, that does a lot for the the confidence, the morale, um, for the team, and also he's playing pretty damn well. 
through the first few matches. So if you put him with Josie Altador or Morris and Altador and then have Dempsey as something like a number 10, that's great. Um, Backline's going to be weird. The fullback situation is going to be really strange. Uh, if Jorge Villafania um, starts at left back, I'll be really <coughs> curious to see how he does. But I, yeah, I feel like they'll get results in both games at least. Alex, do you have any cares or thoughts? Well, they have to get results, um, and they should get results despite the absences. They have more than enough talent to beat Honduras and and Panama. So, I mean, they're basically um, playing the Houston Dynamo, right? So. Yeah, who've been good? Yeah, so maybe maybe uh, maybe it'll be trickier than we. So think. maybe um, the, maybe we should just field the Portland Timbers team. Can can we call up Diego Valeri? <laughs> Nagby's Nagby will be with the team. Yeah. Um. No, I mean uh, Bruce. Arena is a pragmatist, and he will do what it takes to win. And I have some confidence in him getting through Concacaf. We'll see about how high he can take us later, but we'll we'll get to that. We'll talk about that bridge when when we get to it. Well, let's go to the weird and let's talk about a team that wasn't getting results and got one point through three matches, and that's Real Salt Lake, um, or as I like to call them, eighty-seven percent Real Salt Lake. Um, after Wes's viral sensation, which was the uh, the the fan realness numbers of every team's Twitter account. Um, Jeff Kassar was fired after three games. They had one point and uh, he had just been re-signed before the 2017 season. So there were a lot of eyebrows that were raised, not as much about the firing itself because he's been there since Christ left. Uh, team always kind of underperformed. I get that. Um, but firing a coach after three games and then also after you just renewed his <clears throat> contract, all of the timing of it just made no sense. Former, uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers coach, uh, blanking on his name right now, is taking over. Um, Daryl Shore. Shore. Thank you. In the interim, and then... Uh, That's where I knew that name from. Yep, wow. and then uh, okay. Mike Petke is their, uh, the Monarchs, their USL affiliate head coach. So I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Yeah, lots of people are calling for Mike Mike Petke. I mean, people... Mike, Mike Petke is very well thought of. Uh, I think the general impression that I've always gotten from people in the know, those types of people, is that Petke is a great motivator, but he's not a tactician guy. You know, he's not a uh, he's not your soccer brain. And so that's fine. I mean, sometimes you've got uh, that, and if they've got a good tactics person as an assistant coach, then that's great. Um, you know, but uh, who, who knows? I, I have no idea. But Pe- Petke, because of his closeness, because he's at the Monarchs, uh, is is one name that that's in there. What strikes me as weird about this firing is that, um, I, I mean, if you've got same thing when people were freaking out about Heath. If there's a plan, then there's a plan. If you thought that it was, if you, what did you think about going up against Toronto, uh, Chicago, Chicago, and who was the last one they just played? Galaxy, I think. Galaxy. I mean, if you expected to have more than three points out of that, then. You know, one, it's not, they're not doing well, but Real Salt Lake have been continually punching above their weight. And -hmm. I think that they're finally, you know, they've got a fine team. They're not very good, but. Alex, what, what stood out to you uh, with this one? Well, first of all, I I can't see Petke getting this because if they wanted him as their head coach, they would have just made him the interim coach, right? I mean, there's no. Nothing that stops him from doing that. He's on their payroll already, so I think it would be surprising if he was made the coach. Um, if I remember, Kassar was was sort of Christ's deputy, and 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 yeah. so mm-hmm. he was the natural successor, and and he has never quite looked up to the task. His, <clears throat> when he came in, he sort of changed away from the diamond that they so famously used, and he tried to, to stamp his own mark on the team and it didn't really work out and here we are you know two two or three years later and they haven't really progressed right Um, i mean they just they squeaked into the playoffs last year right Um, it's not surprising that he was fired it's surprising that he was fired three games into this year instead of right yeah at the end of last year when it was clear that i i think everyone thought that basically they had they had reached their peak under him. Yeah. Well, we don't, let's not belabor this, but, but you can just say that if you thought that he was doing well and he got you into that playoff spot and you should have been down with Vancouver, San Jose, Houston, but you were uh, up amongst those playoff uh, people. So you're 
If you think he's doing fine, then great. If you mm-hmm. don't, if you think, well, I think that we can be doing better, we look at our squad, then you get a guy in and you let them, you know, put together their team. You let them have time. It, it's a it's a very weird one. And now it's like, I don't know, but yeah, I I, I wonder if it's going to be good or bad for us April first, which is the game that for sure you know, we've been talking about needs to be the game that we get our first win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree. Um, we had a, a quick question about that from uh, Michael LaMonica, who asked, did Real Salt Lake jump the gun firing Kassar, or was the writing on the wall? I mean, it, it, to summarize, it just sounds like it was both. Like, yeah, they were simultaneously too late and too early. Yeah. Uh, like, you, there's a, a time that you do that. It's, you know, end of a season or middle, late of season when you're already kind of punting on success in this season. You're saying, okay, let's see what if we can start with borrow time for next year. I mean, you know who should be canning their coach is Vancouver Whitecaps. That yeah. is a team. And they re-signed him through 2020. Yeah, I, that is a team that I, I don't know. I mean, they're just, well, I, I don't want to, I actually should have issued a trigger warning for because uh, Alex Schieferdecker's going to. Well, that's all right. Vancouver only has well, like, I don't know, 50 real fans. So They need a whole new technical staff, I think, up there. Well, as long as they have 16-year-old Alfonso Davies, I think things will be okay. Yeah, but then they have, like, 19, 20-year-old Marcos Bustos who's tore up the USL, and they can't... They need a number 10, and they refuse to play him. I don't understand. Give him a chance. Okay. All he is anyway, saying sorry. is I mean, they also a have, They also have Tim Parker and... Um, they have good players. Who's Kikuda the other center back? Who's the oh, other uh, center back? Christian Dean. <clears throat> no, uh, he's Watson. the young gun. Kendall Watson. Watson. Kendall, yes. Kendall Watson. Those two are great. I mean, you look at that team, and you're like, what's the problem here? Well, that Eric Hurtado was oh part of. The- <laughs> yes, I knew it. Your <laughs> favorite, your butt. favorite cheeseburger yeah. target. All right, let's uh, go. We'll do another break where we talk about Eric Hurtado and cheeseburgers for twenty minutes, and then come back uh, and, uh, and and talk about Minnesota United. Eric Hurtado had a terrible miss. <laughs> terrible miss this week. It was just, he, it was like a breakaway, and he was in a great shooting position, and he put it into row Z. It was just, it was unreal. He's going to get a restraining order against you. <laughs> All right. Dad. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. Uh, I, I'm going to just include the, the little bit of Eric Hurtado genius there from, from you, Alex, just so everyone can get a taste of what there's, we get. There's the bonus clip that everyone knows. Send no me one some angry wanted. Facebook messages. Yeah, yeah, just exactly. Um, so Minnesota United FC, they go to Colorado Rapids after being the worst team ever in the history of humanity. And uh, by golly, they were the better team. Yeah. Yeah, in every way. Expected goals came out in Minnesota's favor, too, which is the real sign. Never mind that a penalty kick is like a .78 expected goal. You know how much I love expected goals. That's why I'm bringing them up, nothing, man. Nothing says, mm, let's uh, talk about Colorado it. Colorado Rapids 2, Minnesota United FC 2. Um, just It was a fun game. The second half, in particular, it was just it was active. Um both teams' strengths were kind of perfectly matched up by the other teams' strengths. Uh, we had a, a couple of key absences for the Rapids in the back line, which made uh, playing against their stout defense a little easier. They still had uh, Dollar Store Breck Shea, as, uh, as our photographer Daniel Mick called him. A- Alex, I want to ask you about the, the lineup that Minnesota United put out there, um, which is that the biggest change is that you had Justin Davis uh, on the left-hand side, you had uh, Brian Coleman, or Brent Coleman, sorry. Wow. Brent <laughs> Coleman, uh, that's what you get when you name your kids with like all the same letters. Uh, Brent <laughs> Coleman in at center back, uh, replacing Captain Vadim Demidov. Um, the other major change is that you had Miguel Ibarra starting out on the left, and you finally had, I don't know what we're calling it, the 4-4-1-1 or 4-4-2, however you want to call it, but... Uh, you had Ramirez and Venegas kind of both centrally, you know, for the most part. They switched, uh, Molino and Venegas switched around. Uh, what did you make of this lineup? Was this, uh, was it just the, was this the lineup and these changes what changed things? Or did the team just finally calm down? Well, I, I think so. I mean, this is sort of consistent with, with 
what I and many other people were saying, basically, which is that we hadn't played... The, I mean, the tactics had been all wrong in both games before that, in the, in the Atlanta and the Portland game, and that we needed to give the team sort of a fair shot to play with, you know, uh, to, to, to be set up in a way that was but, uh, but suited their strengths. And could, I think we saw that, um, and they did all right. Could you have done, I mean, tactics and lineups are, are related, but not, I mean, could you have done what they did, same tactics you know, same formation, but with different players in there. With uh, whether it's Kadri out left uh, and Demidov and Taylor in uh, Sa- Saeed and Sa- I don't know. No, I guess Saeed would not have been in. I think but- you can interchange the attackers, um, but I think that I think that if we the one I'll say the very surprising thing that we learned in the first two games was that Vadim Demidov was not up to the pace of play in MLS. That was really. Uh, really disappointing and, and really surprising, and hopefully he he figures it out. I think everyone knew Jermaine Taylor wasn't very good, um, so it was nice to see Justin Davis um, get back in there. Although uh, we'll talk about his game, I'm sure. But um, I think that the personnel changes. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure on the podcast last week, and and I know Jeff put out a tweet that was basically the exact same lineup. I mean, uh, people have been calling for this this lineup, and and I think that it bore out. I think that it looked much more competent. Let's put it that way, um, which I'll take for now. Jeff, did, was this a, um, uh, did this kind of give a lot of credence to bringing in these NASL players? Cause it was the NASL, you know, Brent guys like Brent Coleman, who coming into this was the fifth string center back, right? If, if Jermaine Taylor was the, yeah. was the center back, uh, you know, guys like him coming in, uh, pe- there was a lot of criticism, including the uh, 442 piece by Paul Tenorio that I really liked, uh, where he said, you know, people have criticized the reliance on these NASL players. Uh, did this kind of uh, bolster their cred? Well, it it totally disproved that argument. Of it. it wasn't just Tenorio. I mean, it was Dwayne Walt- Rollins in, in Canada had similar theories and a lot of people was like these NASL guys. Yeah, you were on the Soccer Today radio show, right? And, yeah. And, and they were very, and they were, they were saying like Minnesota United is the worst USL team. Uh, right. NASL team. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had to put them on blast for that one. Uh, <laughs> that was a fun episode actually, but um, they weren't playing. And so when these people are saying, first off, the NASL guys are what's holding them back. They're not getting minutes. So clearly it's not holding them back enough where they didn't find 11 other guys that Heath trusted more and would play them instead of putting out Ibsen, for example, who I, who isn't like a traditional NASL guy. He's a guy who ended up playing in NASL, but two years ago he could have started on a playoff team in MLS without question. Um, Sheaf, you, you looked up a little bit with the, the transition for Orlando, and didn't Orlando actually have more USL guys than Minnesota had NASL guys? Oh, yeah. They brought eight guys up. And most of them were youth guys, sort of prospects, um, people they hope to develop, like like Harrison Heath uh, or um, I, I guess Kevin Molino was a couple years younger. But um, they had a lot of sort of guys that they were looking to develop. Um, and, and and as Heath has said many times, uh, Adrian Heath, that, that they maybe went a little bit too young with that team um, and a little bit inexperienced. So... The, the type of players they brought up from the lower lower division in that case was quite different than the ones that we brought up here. Yeah. But I think that the relative experience of our NASL guys and their cohesion or whatever you want to call it, it proved very worthwhile. Absolutely. Um, in I this mean, game against Colorado, they as as Matt Doyle said on Twitter, and and I think that he has provided the best commentary of the sort of the national media on on this team. But as he said on Twitter, you know, the, the, the TAM level guys have underperformed. They have not been that great. But the NASL guys, and I think that Christian Ramirez and Brent Coleman especially, um, and Ibsen, who changed that game, uh, they've done quite well. Well, I think that uh, it's, it's another point that I've heard from a few people, Doyle included, which is um, when you're a new team, you put a lot more emphasis on kind of the international players you can bring in. And if, in, if you're like in New York City and you can bring in David Villa or Andrea Pirlo, it, you're more likely to get something from it. But if you're looking as a brand new team to get the Brian Rochez's or the um, 
the Carlos Rivas year ones, you know, they take time to adjust. And there's a lot, I mean, there's a, a, a marked difference between playing in either a non-Argentinian or Brazilian South American league, which traditionally seem to be below the stature of MLS as far as level of play, or a lot of the Scandinavian leagues to catch up and really get used to not just the travel, which is everyone's bugaboo with playing in the United States and Canada, but with the physicality, the the pace of it. it it's much less of just pure being a technical league. And I think this year we're seeing more techers in the league um, just a lot of, you know, a little bit of this sombrero here, a nutmeg there, but, uh, it's all about the athleticism. And, um, I, th- I think for a lot of these players, if they're not those big budget players, there's a reason that they're not the big budget players and that's fine. It just means that there's a longer period of adjustment. Uh, let's talk about the game then. Uh, you know, coming out of the blocks, Minnesota United looked really good. Uh, I, I mean, First 15 minutes, they were calm in possession. Uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, just more generally, I thought Brent Coleman was remarkably good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm always someone who vacillates between doubting him and then thinking like, oh my God. Even as I watch him, I'm like, it, his tackles are never, they don't have the kind of gracefulness that Calvos do. And he had two or three that was like, oh, one different inch another way and it's a penalty or something but right. he he was tidy uh, on everything and then 17 minutes into the match uh Rasmus Schuler takes a heavy touch and then makes a bad decision decides to kick it backward toward Calvo rather than up in the air Calvo rather than you know trying to just block out the Dominic Baji decides to try to just kick it away series of errors and then Baji just runs through the ball and puts it past uh, Bobby Shuttleworth in goal. I mean, what can you say about that? Let's uh, that. And then we'll say 59th minute. Marlon Hairston was another, you had three, three rapids that were unmarked on the far post. Yeah. yeah. Just completely open. Uh, I, those were two moments of pretty terrible defending, but probably, probably there were only other two other moments where, Rapids had a chance, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, there were yeah. moments where you saw Alan Gordon come in, and you're like, "Well, it's done." <clears throat> yes. I know, right? Didn't, yeah. yeah, that was, and I, I think I'd, I even knew that because I didn't watch the second half that mm-hmm. night. I went out, and uh, I knew the result. It was my anniversary. Yeah, you do that. Good. I know. Yeah. Good. Uh, I knew the result. <laughs> I still <laughs> saw Alan Gordon come in when I'm watching the next morning, and I'm like, "Oh, this, this he's going to win it." It's Somehow like Titanic, will, where so, you're yeah. like, "Oh no, love will conquer." You know, somehow he time traveled just watching him. Just it's like Schrodinger's cat, right? Yeah. It's like I opened the box and discovered that the cat's dead and Alan Gordon strangled the fucking cat. That's 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 how that's the full version of Schrodinger's cat. Um, But the two goals that Minnesota had, the first one uh, came five minutes into the second half. Uh, Kevin Hotboy Molino buried a penalty kick. Um I mean, it was a good call on the penalty. But the passing that led to the penalty was, was it uh, Ibsen to Molino? Yeah, so to... Ibsen came in for Rasmus Schuler, who was subbed off at halftime. Um, wasn't really sure why, but Schuler's also been the first player subbed off in all three games. He's had a yellow card, at least. In one of the what, games. Heath said, at least in Minnesota, didn't he? Or, or, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the home game, he said. Uh, that it was because of the yellow card. Yeah, but the other two, he was still the first subbed off. And yeah. so that's a pattern where I'm, I'm I'm a little curious about why, but I'll dig into that more after the international break for him. Ibsen comes in, and Ibsen put in... The pessimist will say that was a vintage Ibsen performance. The, the optimist will say that's a sign that Ibsen is a player who plays to his level. MLS is a much better league, so you're going to see the best of him. And Ibsen was just an absolute visionary bastard with the ball and was able to put the ball on a platter for Molino, for Venegas, for Ramirez. Um, it set these guys up to actually get in the box, create chances. He had one perfect through ball on the second goal, which was a Christian Ramirez headed goal. <laughs> 
and uh, he put a through ball in that went to Jerome Tisson, who's running down the right side, crosses the ball in, and it finds Christian's head, who then sends it to the far post. It was like every single thing that you'd been like, yeah, Christian's really good with his feet, but I wish he could score like clinical, finesse, powerful goals all at the same time with his head. He did it against Tim Howard and made Tim Howard look like... Well, Whatever was, goalkeeper Sheaf scored in in the the run up yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. shootout, it was it wasn't quite his fault. But uh, I mean, let's let's take take these one at a time. The earning the penalty, the pass from Molino to uh, to Warner, and Warner's just inside the box and and gets uh, pulled down was superb. Uh, you know, Molino buried his penalty again. A really good placement. As long as. I, I would like Christian to be taking those, but as long as Molino is taking his penalties that well, I, I also think that Heath kind of, when he was asked about it, gave a really weird dodge, which is that, well, Molino picked up the ball when he was asked about who takes the penalties, because obviously Christian wanted to be taking, even the second, even in Colorado, Christian is asking for the ball. Yep. You don't want to fight between your best, your striker and your playmaker but Columbus Columbus crew yeah exactly right and so the it's the manager's job to be heading that off but then the the you know this the second goal is this uh fantastic cross in from Tyson uh and I I think it is maybe only Christian's second header as a professional um and, and but it was spectacular play that that led to both goals. Alex, did, were you kind of uh, buoyed by by what you saw uh, offensively? I thought it was good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, no, we we just spent five minutes waxing poetic. We could, yeah, I thought we could. I thought we could have created more chances, and I thought we could finish a little better. Um, but the two movements that led up to the goals were really nice. Um, there was a. I think a four or five one-touch passing sequence that led to the penalty. Um, and it was the same kind of thing, another four or five-touch passing sequence along the right side, which we really didn't do at all that game except for that one time. That was, I think, the only time TSON overlapped in the entire game. Um, but it worked, and there was a beautiful goal. Um, and what I loved most about that second goal was that uh, Christian held off Jared Watts. Like, Jared Watts was pushing and pushing at him and trying to sort of put him off. And Christian just took it and stood, you know, he did, he wasn't put off by the central defender sort of pushing at him and he held his position and he got right to where he needed to be. And it was a very nice, it was a very nice goal. And, and he's now got two goals in 200 minutes in MLS. That's yeah, and, and impressive. Uh, d- you know, a few inches a different uh, different way, and he could have had two goals previously. I think yeah. Yeah. I think he he'd rightfully be disappointed in himself for not scoring his two earlier chances. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it, it looked good if they can, and this is you know vintage Minnesota soccer. Uh, if they can just stop with uh, what? How did Carl refer to them? Just the. The stupid, he had a a phrase for it to refer to stupid mistakes. But uh, if they can cut that stupid mistake crap out, then, you know, that's good. But that's that's soccer. That's about just like getting tighter and tighter. And next week will be another test of that. Next week will be another Well, next week will be a bigger test to that. Let's look to that. So that's a game against the New England Revolution at like way too early o'clock. Um, on Saturday, yeah, one p.m. Yeah. Alex, you'll be there. Um, I'll so be there. you'll have to let us know what you're up to on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever you use. Um, <laughs> but it'll be a uh, it'll be a really interesting match. Minnesota of the the ten starters on the field. So okay, the ten field players that Minnesota ran out against Colorado, five of them are going to be missing from that game. You've got uh, Schuler, who's got called into international duty. Uh, Calvo and Johan Venegas were called in international duty. Kevin Hotboy Otter Molino was called in international duty. And then Justin Davis, we were going to have to breeze through this, um, was called with what I think was a correctly called red card um, for a play that wasn't like intentional and malicious like a Nigel DeYoung, but it was reckless. Um, and so he, they decided not to appeal his red card suspension. And so five of the 10 will be out for new England. New England. Meanwhile is pause actually real quick. Let's just talk about the red card just briefly. So you you can explain why they didn't, because I think 
I think the maybe a, a fair way to say is that it probably should have been a yellow. Could have, the ref could have called a yellow. He decided to go with a red, which I think is a little bit harsh, but mm-hmm. not crazy. But you know, the team could have could have appealed it. And the reason that they didn't is in, explain the the rules of they get two challenges. Yeah. So what happens is every team um, puts in a twenty five thousand dollar bond into a pool, basically to say yes, I will be respectful with my two appeals. They get uh, they so okay. In this case, let's say they decide to appeal. If if they win and they say yeah, you're right, that should have only been a yellow. Davis is reinstated. They still have both appeals left. If they would have said no, it was a correct call, but I see why you're asking. They lose one of their two appeals and they only have one left for the remaining thirty one. If they were laughed out of the room and said, you big dummies, that was clearly a red, look, Marlon Harrison is still bleeding, then they would have lost not just their ability to appeal for the rest of the season, Davis would have been suspended for twice as long, and they would have lost the $25,000 of card allocation money. Cam, we're going to make that up. So um, that's why. And so so back then to thinking about next week. Uh, So they've got those five players missing New England Revolution only have Lee Wynn and Javon Watson missing, as far as I know. I don't think Lee Wynn. I don't think Lee Wynn was called in. Oh, you know what? Uh, maybe I pulled up the wrong article in in looking at that. I don't think they're missing any international call-ups, but they're missing Brad Knighton. Um, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'll, just, I'll lean back here. Okay, good. So New England's going to be at just about full strength. The good news is, even though one of the games was postponed due to uh, snowstorm. Uh, Harris or whatever it was named. Um, Stella. Uh, they Doug. had Doug. Snow, s- Snowstorm Mort was called into play. And now Mort, full full closure here, is going to be going from Minnesota along with Cindy to go to the game. Good old Mort. Um, <laughs> no, okay, so Knighton is out. But New England also hasn't won or drawn a game, but they've only played two games because they had one postponed. So New England is technically the one team in the league that is decidedly worse in the standings than Minnesota. Hooray. Um, Cody Cropper will almost certainly be starting in goal against Minnesota. He gave up a howler. Mm -hmm. Did you watch that, Alex? I know that you're a Cody fan. I don't think it was. No, I disagree. He went out, got the ball, ball kind of like, uh, you know, he played with it like a kitten, you know, like putting it up on his back and then the ball fell and then the (laughs) the attacker took it around him. Yeah. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean, I don't know what you're talking about. This past weekend, he he went out, got the ball, bobbled it, and then didn't fully hold on to it and it got taken off his hands and they scored. Hashtag blame it on the kitty. No, 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 no. I, I... I, you, you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Huh. Um, Maxi Rudy scored twice for Dallas against New England. I did watch the game. They scored, like, New, New England are a scary team, so they scored, they, they were the better team for 60 minutes and just didn't really capitalize on opportunities. Which sounds like and a lot then, of teams in the league right now. Um, Dallas got two. Dallas has started hoofing it, and it turned out the New England center backs could not deal with that. They had some really clowny... Um, clowny sort of ball handling and they just gave it basically to Maxi Rudy twice. Okay, um, no, I'm watching I'm watching this gif uh multiple times and yep, over and over again. I'll be the Cody Cropper comes second out, source on this. Slides into the ball. The ball kind of does not grab it. The ball kind of just slides away, falls to Maxi Rudy, Maxi Rudy takes it around him and, and shoots it. Yeah. You can't watch a gif in real time. It was very fast. Well, he came. It was a good save on the first one, and then the second one. You know, Maxi Arudi is unmarked one v one against Cody, and there's no defender putting pressure on him. The point is, <laughs> Cody I'm gonna, Cropper. I'm going to defend it. I think. I think the the second goal he gave up was worse when he got beat above his head in the near post. Okay. The right. point is, Cody Cropper <laughs> will be starting in goal against Minnesota United, barring some unforeseen cat play. And it's going to be very interesting. Like, on his back. <laughs> like you said, Alex, the center backs have had some shoddy defensive play going back to like 2015. Uh, they're a team that is notorious for having more attacking pieces than they know how to put on the field coherently at one time. Um, 
they I mean they've got a lot of like individual like you look at it and it's like Kai Kamara I could easily see him scoring a hat trick Juan Agudelo I could see him scoring a hat trick of bicycle kicks uh Lee Wynn could put on a show Scott Caldwell uh Fagundes Fagundes Tio Bunbury could do something you know it like there's there's a long list of players with talent but for whatever reason even though they've had the same coach for years and years and years this is a lot of the roster that made it to MLS Cup 14 um Femi is there too by the way uh which I think so far has been the introduction of Femi Hollinger Jensen for his entirety of his MLS career. A uh, former Minnesota United star. Thank you. Um, former heartthrob. So let me let me ask this. I want to do just this last section before before we go, and I'll start with you, Alex. Um, you've got these missing guys in here. Uh, how do you? Who do you put out there? Does Josh Gatt get his first uh, run out? Does uh, does Demidov come back in and partner with Coleman. Uh, does ta- does Tiaison move out left uh, and uh, Taylor or Viva come in uh, on the right back? What, what's gonna what should happen in in your mind? I'm not so worried about the attack because between Kadri and Ibarra and Gat and Dunlady, we have options there. Um, then Lottie did finally get a run out uh, yeah. against uh, yes. Colorado. For, and then immediately minutes. had to play defense for 20 right. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that it, the, what's, what happens in the defense is way more interesting um, because given how Vadim Demidov and Jermaine Taylor have played, probably one of those two is I don't really see any way to avoid having one of those two in the defense. Um, and so you've got to figure out where probably it's best their best at center back so you have to figure out which of the two is less of a liability next to Brent Coleman at center back um and who does Kev- that leave for the fullbacks I don't know does Kevin Venegas play uh does uh Thomas Deviardi play I am I'm I'm not so sure about it I will say that the one good thing is that if there's any team in the league that you would like to have a fullback crisis against it's probably new England because they don't have a winger on that roster. They really struggle to get the ball out wide and they don't cross it a lot. So, so um, solidifying the, that center is much more crucial. Yeah. The op- the other option is J- Joe Greenspan, who's been out for a couple of weeks uh, with under concussion protocol. Um, we, we haven't had an update. You'll be at training tomorrow, Jeff. But yeah. What? What's the best option? Is Demidov, Greenspan? I, I think it's Demidov. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that if you have uh, more mobile guys, because Demidov's thing was his, because he always played on the right side of the pairing. Um, his right back week one was an immobile uh, center back by trade who can moonlight as a left back who was trying to play right back. So fair enough. And then his right back deputy, the second week was a player who had just flown across the Atlantic about two days before the match and had one practice with the team. So he hasn't exactly been, uh, he hasn't had a great sidekick um, at right back. And so I'm. what sucks is that right now, at least in my estimation, that's Kevin Venegas, who then hasn't played a minute in MLS before. Has he made the bench yet? No. So it's... It's it's a huge question, and the thing is, uh, that would move Tisson, who feels, well, he talked to you about this last week, Wes, where he said that he feels like a more natural defender. Um, yeah, he, he talked left. about it, the angles that he hits, it's more natural for him to play out left. He's a right, he says he's a right back, and he's like, he can do a lot more because he's got a better right foot and he can whip the ball in, but he said, I have no problem going out left because I feel like I can actually defend better there. So, it's, it, you so know, maybe- it'll... It'll be interesting. That, he, that he also, line, by he, the way, just Tiason, um is a, adorable as much as you can say yes. that about a grown man. Uh, <laughs> while we were interviewing him, he he did this. Uh, he was like, uh, "I'm sorry if I'm not looking you, at you in the eyes. I'm just trying to concentrate." <laughs> just thought that was so cute. Like just to be like, just like you don't. Yeah, most people don't actually make eye contact, and they kind of uh, don't pay attention, but thank yeah. you. Anyway, he had also never been heard the comparison that he looks like Leo Messi uh, in his life, uh, but, I mean, it's spot on. You're welcome, guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we, we can go through all the, the variations uh, of of how this might look. I, I 
my thought is, the question for Heath is, do you, for the fullbacks, is uh, do you trust the veteran who he obviously trusts? He obviously sees something in Taylor. And I know that people, I think people are way too down on Taylor and blaming him way too much where they wouldn't do that if he wasn't a new player. I think yeah. that we are. Oh, have, spot on. I think it's just like, he's. it's easy to point him out. He's been, he has not been good. I don't want to see him starting. I'd rather see Tiaison and Viva. But obviously he's seeing something there and seeing, well, I, I, I trust this veteran, do this something. He obviously does not trust Viva yet or at all. Maybe he never will. That's a really big question. The other question is with Schuler out, is Ibsen going to start next to Warner? Or is Ibsen more of a 45 minutes guy? Do you start Saeed instead? I hope Ibsen starts. Uh, I'd rather put your your front foot forward there. Mm-hmm. Um, Saeed hasn't shown me much yet. And Ibsen had a good game. For me, it's Ibsen did great against tired minds and tired legs in Colorado. Let's do the same thing. Let's give him yeah. hell in the 60th minute in New England. And I sure. think he could create some serious chances. The, uh, I'm yeah. I'm scared about New England's ability to play combinations through the middle of the field. So I would like to see more defense next to Warner. And then I would like to hit New England on the wings. So for me, I would start Venegas. Um, I would, I guess I would start TSA on the other side. Um, that's to me where New England are dangerous. That's where Dallas hit them. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'd much rather lock down that center of the field, even if that gives up quite a bit of creativity. And then maybe Ibsen comes on as a late sub. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I, I hate going over and over uh, formations, but I, I do want to see Josh Gad out there. I, I uh, that man's chest is the broadest chest I've ever seen in my life. He's got these like broad shoulders. It's like seeing him in uh, in person the other day was like, my God. Uh, I'm Lance. Why? <laughs> just I got the vapors. Uh, let's take a break so I can just uh, uh, cool off uh, a little bit. You know, loosen my corset, and uh, we'll come back. We've got Twitter questions. Welcome back to the Fifty Five One podcast. I've uh, I've laid on my chaise long for a little while and fanned myself. I'm feeling a bit better here. Uh, Twitter questions. We've got one from Opulunes. Uh, was Jeff Reuter basically insufferable all day after getting the lineup nearly perfect? Would he agree? I don't get the second question, but the first one is: Was he insufferable? Yes, as always. I think I walked into the door uh, at my brother's house, and I think my first words were actually, I told you so, and high-fived him. So, yeah. Second question now from Tyler at the Death Loon. Who is the most likely player to get waived for summer additions? Jermaine Taylor, right? No, it's John Alboga. Yeah. Because his loan may not get renewed. That's that it. being said, everybody should follow him on Instagram because it is... Adorable. Oh, really? In the same way adorable. that we got adorable men here. In the same way that Ta Sons interviews are adorable. I want you John to know, Alex, Alex and you know, listener, Wes is Instagram actually pulling is up Instagram right I am. now I'm, to look I'm at him. I'm looking for him. So, what's funny about um, John is that I uh, I chatted with him for a little while because he was injured uh, at training, and um, and uh, you know he's living here uh, with kind of his his family is hoping to come over uh, in the summer. And um and he has like basically just a bed, that's it. And so I, I was like, "Have you been to IKEA? <laughs> IKEA yet?" And he was like, "Well, you know, this injury is is crappy, but at least you know I can stay home this weekend and go find furniture." There you go. So I feel bad. Like you know, this is people um talk to us about how like are like, "Oh, you guys, you guys are like, what did they say your your piece, Schiefer Decker? Someone commented on your piece and said you were like kissing." kissing the team's ass or something like that. When you encounter the players a lot, I'm not, I have no problem. Even, even players who I'm friendly with, I don't think any of them actually like me. So we're not friends, but um, I, I have no problem calling them out on it. But when you like interact with people, you kind of know them as human beings and you're like, 
uh, I, I just... You're more willing to go yeah, to bat you, for them. I just, yeah. I, oh, no, I no, it's not even going to bat. It's just knowing that, like, there's lots of things going on, and not everyone needs to be, like, you don't need to call Jermaine Taylor garbage because he had one bad game in preseason. I, I, we learned that lesson after Damian Lowe. Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't call him garbage. Some, someone, someone in the comment. Call, and Jermaine, you know, Damian Lowe thought we called him garbage. Yeah. But it's, you know, guys like Alphaga, I, I felt really like, oh, man, I actually hope that you're, I didn't say this. I was like, I hope you're good. I hope well, you actually yeah. can move. To, to go back and close the question <laughs> I here. I just felt bad. You're yeah. right. Well, but it's, hold it, on. I just want to add something to the Ikea story because the he uh, posted on whatever that um, the story feature on Instagram. His story this weekend was him making, like putting together his bed from Ikea, his stuff, his furniture from Ikea. And it was all, it was like really joyful, like Swedish, like <laughs> Ikea time kind of. Well, I told amazing. I told him I was like, man, I've been really trying to get the team to have you go to IKEA and show people how to put things together. So I did tell him that. So. To, to close yeah. the question, though, that you guys have spent way too long on talking about adorable furniture. Um, yeah, it's just it's all circumstantial. I mean, if Shuttleworth comes in and plays fine, there's only room for one goalkeeper, and if they want to open up an international spot, sadly, he's the one who'd be most likely to go. Uh, Gnarly Ray Jepsen asks the probabilities of a DP signing over the summer transfer window. If so, any names in particular in the discussion? Um, I mean, there's a chance the, the, the mantra that Amos McGee and Manny Lagos had always set out was we wanted a player who fit the system correctly, um, and was the right player for the culture we're building as well as the type of player we're looking for and not just a flashy name. So I'm, I, I think the, that means that the player they'd bring in is unlikely to be someone that the casual international soccer fans familiar with. Alex, do you want to give a shout out to a random soccer player in the world? Iago, maybe? <laughs> who's in South Korea. Um, I, I, my uh, pet dream is to sign Orion Nyland, who is the national team goalkeeper for Norway, and he is with Ingolstadt, who are going to get relegated this year. He's not playing for them. He kind of lost his job over there. But he's a good, you know, lower Bundesliga goalkeeper. I, I'd love to have him. But uh, no, I know nothing about this. Wes, do you have a, a DP target? A midfielder. Okay. They need. They, I, I want a midfielder who is a marshal. I, I want a, a. You know, this is not a DP, but I talked about Dax McCarty last week. Mm-hmm. I think that having having a, a a central figure there would go a long way to shoring up these things. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think this team is that far off from being a a good uh, MLS team. It has no depth. Is it's its problem. Right. Uh, but I, you know, you look at the starting eleven there. And if you, I think that you need a left back, uh, a center back, a keeper, and a midfielder. Never you mind, just, you need a left. You just need eight you need positions all, you just need, Yeah, just eight guys, short, no, no problem. <laughs> uh, the, Melissa Danner asks, should this week's roster, or lack thereof, speaking of depth, make me panic? Should I expect disaster? Or does MNUFC have a chance at points? We didn't even do picks last week. Well, you should panic all the time, Melissa, is the answer. But, always. But, always uh, panic. Um, I would... I would say it's going to be tough. Uh, we did not talk about Miguel from this past weekend. Miguel was mostly invisible for the game. Mm-hmm. He did a good job filling in as a right back. Um, I think he's tentative. Most of his passes were backwards along the, the flank. That was frustrating. I think that Miguel is a guy who just needs... He's such like every player is such a confidence guy right he needs to build into it needs to needs to feel let loose heath is not letting him loose Heath obviously does not trust him yet uh not in a a bad way just molino and venegas have free reign i also want to say briefly about christian sorry i should have said this in christian held up the ball a couple times too mm -hmm. he was like who is this man and where did you get he's put in a lot of work in the off season it looks like alex uh do you have any other thoughts on this question Oh, um, I, about, I just wanted to say about Miguel, it was very famously on a podcast that what, that uh, you were on, Wes, that uh, revitalized Miguel Ibarra's career. Yeah, I should, I should so actually say this all work, more. Work the magic again. I think I remember on that podcast, maybe my memory is faulty, but Bruce saying that he was running around like a guy with a knife, but he wasn't shiving anybody. <laughs> uh, I will <laughs> but, just say Miguel Ibarra he, was absolute shit. Against Colorado, <laughs> useless. In fact, I think that Bashkim Kadri uh, should be in there all the time, and Miguel uh, needs to up his goddamn game. Boom, 
Fingers crossed. <laughs> On blast. I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine against Colorado. This is, a, this is a great question I'm very excited about. This is from at Goldfish Fibers. On a scale of we won a game to Dean Johnson has joined the investment group. What's our current level of panic? Uh, for for people without the context, Dean Johnson is is referred to as either one shoe or two shoes or one pair. We haven't figured out his nickname, but he's the former owner of the Minnesota Thunder who basically racked up a lot of money, uh, screwed a lot of people, and absconded to Belgium, and he's a shyster and a crook. And he only had famously one pair of shoes he always wore and that's how people started to catch on that he was a crook <laughs> that he, he didn't really have the money that he said uh so on scale what what's the current level of panic uh wh- where where are you in, on this scale so a one is no panic um if oh, we're... Well, no a one is we won again yes, yeah 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 so, and 10 okay. is yeah um if you're purely looking on the field i'm saying it's uh 4 alex What's what's the number for we tied a game? I don't know five. I don't know. But I think it's that we I, tied a game. I think I'd I'm, like to win one though. I'm three. If we get past Real Salt Lake and haven't won a game, then it's time to panic. Uh, if you know if we if we've gone five games without a win, I think that you can be you can panic a little bit. But even then, you know, it, it's just like a growing thing. But right now. I think we, everyone should be very content that the team played really well and and showed that they weren't crap. Sure. Uh, United Loons at MN United FC Loons asks, if you could have any player from last year's NASL roster right now, who would it be and why? It's funny because I think I know each of your answers. Um, Alex, let's start with you. Who would you want most from that roster? Uh, you think I'm going to say Sammy. Um, I... I would take him, and I'm trying to think through the roster. I mean, I, I would take Danny Cruz. Um, really? Would you start him over? Who would you start him over out there? I Well, I right don't back. know why Josh Gatt has like not featured in the subs or anything so far. So I'm not sure quite what the situation is there. Um, so it Do you want the, the 10 second like we maybe quick? need more reinforcement at that position um alex, and it's, alex know, do you want who the, do you take right now right yeah, for, right yeah. what's the game? status of josh gat uh the the status of josh gat is that he was aside from tson who joined uh in an absolute crisis uh the last player to join the roster he's been taking a little bit to kind of get used to the flow of everything uh get involved with the team and frankly he does he's a right winger and he doesn't feel the need to really push him into the lineup because kevin molino plays there um, okay, so I, I'm going to say none. I, there's no player out that I, I would take. Okay, Alex, did you have a, a closure on your thought before my answer? No. Okay, eh, I would take Jebrowski because oh, yes. the the two areas oh, that have been Jeb needed, Bro- a healthy Jebrowski, um, would help patch up kind of the the, the bastard in the defensive midfield you're looking for, as well as right back depth. Two things that they sorely need right now. Um, sure, that's the so right answer. If only we could hear your voice, Jebrowski, sometime in the next ten days, that would be fantastic. Well. <laughs> We'll we'll see we'll see maybe maybe he'll give us a call or something like that out of the blue and he's not returning our calls is he? No. Uh, Last question comes from Colin O'Donnell, left arrow down, left arrow down, left arrow down, who says, "What's the best place you'd refuse to move to if you had to relocate, but also had to renounce Minnesota United for the local side?" I didn't understand what that meant, so I pried. So the the example he gave was you aren't going to try to cover or be a fan of Minnesota United and you're just going to take the local team. So what's the best location with the shittiest team? His example was West London, but you would have to cheer for Chelsea who invented soccer in 2006. Um, so what is the, the coolest place you could go to with the shittiest team? I'll start or not shittiest, but the team that you would hate the most to cheer for. My answer would be Paris. If I yeah. had to cheer for Paris Saint-Germain, I would probably gouge out at least one of my testes um in rage so alex anything come to mind for you paris was the one that came to mind uh madrid is another one um i don't know i'm not up on my madrid geography but um whichever side of town real represents i would not enjoy rooting for that team trying to think of uh, like places that i want to i would love to go and live i I just i i want to live in copenhagen i want to let like i'd I'd support all these teams Uh, i mean i've never like i've never been to madrid so i don't have like uh, you know lazio comes to mind but i'm not like 
as much as I enjoy Italy, I've never thought, oh, I could live in Italy. So right. mm, I'm going to say uh, uh, Seattle uh, would be on my list. <laughs> uh, Paris Saint-Germain is good. I mean, obviously, Arsenal are, are on the list. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I'd probably... So most areas of London you wouldn't be cool with. Like Millwall, I would not be cool with. I'd, I'd be cool if I had to be a Charlton fan. Although, actually, I'd be depressed because their owner is screwing them. Uh, I mean, there, there's, there's like, Fulham, I'd be fine. You know, yeah. Was, you know, but Tottenham, you'd be fine. Yeah. Well, I, obviously, if I had to renounce <laughs> renounce Minnesota United, so I go, go to the team that originally got me into soccer, yes. Uh, yeah, so, okay, let's, uh, let's call it a day. Um, my name is Wes Berdine. I'm at MN Nice FC. We've got Jeff Reuter at Jeff Reuter, Alex Schiefer Decker at Alex Schief. You guys are simpler than me. Um, thank you guys both for, for coming on. Uh, next week, our podcast is going to be uh, Wednesday, come out Tuesday night, Wednesday, because uh, we've got a special guest. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, subscribe, do leave. Uh, you know, messages on, you know, comment on the, the webpage and uh, messages on iTunes. Give those reviews and, uh, you know, hugs and kisses everyone.